If there's one thing we've learned from Doctor Who, it's that education matters. Access to a quality education makes a difference in every aspect of someone's life. It can be the determining factor between despair and hope, poverty and stability, even death and life. Doctor Who fans can help change change this. this. This October, representatives from your favorite Doctor Who podcasts and some very special guests are coming together to record podcast commentaries for the stories of season 26. The final season of the classic series of Doctor Who. That's 14 episodes of Classic Who. With more than 50 podcasters, authors, and fans participating. Including a special commentary featuring Sophie Aldred, who played Ace. These special podcast commentaries won't be available on any one show's feed. We're offering them exclusively to listeners who provide a donation to an organization working to, to improve, improve access, access to education. education. Here's what you have to do. Make a donation of $10 or more to, to the, the Malala, Malala Fund, Fund or another of our suggested organizations. Then send a copy of your receipt to Gallifrey Stands at realitybombpodcast.com. And you'll get information on where to download your special commentary podcast later this month. You can find more information and details about the various organizations we're supporting at realitybombpodcast.com slash who for schools. Last year, in the Doctor Who episode, Rosa, we were reminded that an education makes you unstoppable. Let's help more people to be unstoppable. And just like the Doctor, let's continue to be kind. To be kind. To be kind. The moment has arrived. I'm Tom Dickinson, and this is The Moment. It's a podcast. On each episode, I talk to a different guest about a different moment from any episode of the television show, Doctor Who. And that guest tells me why that moment is so special or interesting for them. This week, I've been joined by longtime friend of the show and prolific podcaster Erica Ensign. And we're talking about a moment from Asylum of the Daleks, the premiere episode of Matt Smith's third and final season as the Doctor. This episode is notable for a number of reasons, one of which is that it introduces Jenna Coleman playing Clara, or a sort of alternate version of Clara named Oswin, well before Clara's proper introduction to Doctor Who in The Bells of St. John later in the season. But lest we get ahead of ourselves, Amy and Rory haven't left the show yet, although their relationship is on the rocks. And as the episode opens, it's revealed that they're getting divorced, or at least they were, until they and the Doctor got kidnapped by Daleks and forced into a perilous mission to the Dalek Asylum planet. Adding to the menace is a cloud of hostile nano-genes covering the planet that slowly turns human beings into Daleks. Luckily, the three of them have been given magic wristbands that protect them from the nanogene cloud. But unluckily, as Erica's moment arrives, Amy and Rory have been left waiting on a teleport pad together. Amy's lost her protective wristband, so between the two of them, they've only got one. And between the two of them, they've also got a whole lot of unresolved marital tension, which is where Erica's moment picks up. My moment involves Amy and Rory. Okay, look at me. Who are a pair of companions. I'm going to be logical. That I never... Cold and logical, okay? Really understood. For both of our sakes, for both of us. And the moment that I learned to understand them... I'm going to take this off my wrist and put it on yours. Why? Then I'll just start converting you. That's not fair. Yeah, but it will buy us time because it will take longer with was me. Was the fight that they had... Sorry, what? ...in Asylum of the Daleks. It subtracts love, that's what she said. What's that got to do with it? What does that even mean? It's just arithmetic. About why they had chosen... It would take longer with me because... ...to break up. We both know. We've both always known that... It's kind of horrible, but... 
The fact that Rory... Amy, basic fact of our relationship is that I love you more than you love me, which today is good news because it might just save both of our lives. Thinks he loves Amy so much more than she loves him. 2,000 years waiting for you outside a box, saying it because it's true. And since you know it's true, give me your arm. In the real world, Amy. there are there are definitely couples that, that function that way, where there's a, one of the members of that couple who's more invested than the other one. And it's clear that that's what Rory thinks that he is in this pair. And I had kind of always thought the same thing. And I feel bad about this now in retrospect, but that was sort of what I had kind of gotten out of the viewing that I had done over the years up until that point. And then we get to this point where Amy... Don't you dare say that to me. Don't you ever dare. Throws it back in his face. Amy, you kicked me out. You want kids. You have always wanted kids. And... Or since you were a kid. Explains how... She gave him up. And I can't have them. For reasons that, you know, I know. maybe aren't the greatest. Whatever they did to be a demon's run. Narrative choice. But I can't ever give you children. I didn't kick you out. She did that and, and giving him up was... I gave you up. ...every bit as hard as it was for him to wait 2,000 years. And I just thought that was don't, beautiful. Don't you dare talk to me about waiting outside a box because that is nothing. Rory, nothing compared to giving you up. Just give me your arm. Just give me your arm. Touch me. So, how, how did you feel about them both as characters prior to this? Because this is the beginning of the third season in which they're on the show. They leave halfway through the season, so we had two full seasons of Amy and Rory. Amy. Hi. Oh, uh, this is Rory. He's a friend. How did you feel, boyfriend? Kind of boyfriend. Amy. About them throughout walk. series five and six. I thought they were fine. <laughs> Um, I never really understood them as a couple. I think because you start off with Amy. I'm getting married in the morning. We find out after she's first there. Who's the lucky fella? You met him. Ah, the good looking one. Or the other one. She's going to be marrying Rory. other one. Well, he was good too. And then she (laughs) is snogging the doctor and... You're getting married in the morning. Well, the morning's a long time. Rory is just kind of following her around. I want this. A little bit like a puppy for a while. Hi, with me. And yeah, I enjoyed yes. watching them. I would like that. Nice one. And I hate to say it, but I enjoyed watching Rory die. Stop it, you'll die. Yeah, twice. Over and over again. In the same building on the same night. Huh. Who else could do that? I mean, it became kind of a joke. But it was a joke that I liked, and I thought that it worked well for me narratively, but I didn't, I don't know, I didn't get them as a couple. Like, and I've had friends in real life that have been couples with each other, and that I have just not really understood the relationship dynamic. And that's kind of where I was with them until that episode, until Asylum of the Daleks. Like, what do you think Rory's reasons are for thinking of the relationship in that way? Honestly, I think it comes down to, and I hate sort of putting this on Amy, but I think that Amy is, she doesn't have a really high emotional intelligence. Hmm. That's not me dissing the writing. Having a female character that's not perfect, that is able to have faults and and fail in some ways is a really, really important thing for representation. So I love the fact that Amy is not perfect. And she was not always great at expressing her emotions and showing just how deeply she loved Rory in every opportunity that she had. And I think that's a good thing for her character. Because of that, Rory sort of, he fell into the same trap that I did. It's interesting because in, I want to say, Amy's Choice. No, I'm not ready. Yeah, that was one of Rory's early deaths. Might have even been his first death. Amy seems to really believe that he's gone. I think she says, I love Rory and I never told him. I never told him I loved him. he's gone. 
-hmm. which is, you know, it's the night before their wedding. Wow. And that has always felt really wild to me. Mm -hmm. But it also feels of a piece with this moment because it kind of stands to reason that two people who interact in that way early in their relationship might have this kind of misunderstanding later. Mm -hmm. And and when you think about it, Amy's, I think, inability, not necessarily inability, hesitance to commit kind of goes back to the doctor. You're late. What happened? 12 years. Sort of hits you hit me with a cricket bat. (laughs) 12 years. A cricket bat. 12 years and four psychiatrists. She had this really traumatic childhood, which had him leaving her waiting for 12 years, and there was a crack, and then there wasn't a crack, and her parents were... I lost my mom and dad. How? Gone. What happened to them? And then her parents weren't gone, and there's, you know, there's a lot going on in her past. So the ability to be on good terms with one's own emotions enough to express those emotions to other people, well, that's a hard thing when you've been through that much trauma. So the fact that, that that's how their relationship functioned for so long, I think, makes perfect sense. And then coming to this point where actually it was the Pond Life specials. I don't know if you remember those. May I be? Sure. Mostly they were silly. You get, you know, the ood on the loo. Ood on the loo. Yeah. And the last one, suddenly you have Everything's all right, isn't it? The doctor leaving a message. And you too. Of course it is. And Pond's always fine, just just Corey leaving and Amy worrying unnecessarily. Crying anyway. and saying, Where are you? We need you, Raggedy Man. And it's sudden and it's kind of jarring, but to me, I need you. That made sense. The fact that you have these two people who have traveled through space and time and seen amazing things and suddenly they are left on Earth and they have to navigate a relationship that's in the real world after having all of these grandiose experiences. It makes perfect sense to me that even if they were both in great shape emotionally, that that would possibly break down And, you know, marriage itself, like, not the easiest thing. I'm pretty lucky. My marriage has been pretty easy and pretty great. But it's not like that all the time for everybody. And I think even under the best of circumstances, you got to work really hard. And I think their circumstances were far from the best. So it didn't surprise me. Um, Your husband is here. At the beginning of that story. I don't have a husband. Oh, well, apparently you're still there. They're getting a divorce. People flipped out about that. I was not one of the people that flipped out. I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably what would happen if you dropped two time travelers off on Earth and said, here, have a quote-unquote normal life. You know, this is going to sound like a complete uh, non-sequitur question. I'm going somewhere with this. How do you feel about... This is no place for a married woman. Mickey and Martha getting married. You shouldn't have married me. I have always been a defender of Mickey and Martha, and I recognize the reasons that people are annoyed about the two of them getting together, and I'm, I, I understand that. But the reason that I've always liked it is because they are two people who are two of the only people on the entire planet Earth who understand what the others the other have gone through. They've been through the TARDIS and the Doctor and all of the wackiness that goes along with that. And that's a big, big deal. It's important to have somebody that understands that. And I think that is a thing that makes sense to me to bring those two together, whereas it's a heavy enough thing that I can also understand it breaking two people apart if they were experiencing that together and then trying to you know do the opposite, go back to quote-unquote normal life after having experienced all of that stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm pro Mickey and Martha. Yeah, so, so that's kind of why I asked because what you were saying about Amy and Rory's divorce and how your opinion on that kind of, you felt some friction between what you're saying and what a lot of the fan opinion out there is, that definitely reminds me of some of the arguments pro and con 
on Mickey and Martha that I've heard. Mm-hmm. And I think Cards on the Table, I'm not super into that storytelling decision. Mm-hmm. And this moment you picked, one of the reasons I was like so interested to talk about it is because it's a moment that doesn't really resonate super with me. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta hear this. Maybe maybe there's a new angle on it that I can, uh, I can learn about. But I, f- I feel like, yeah, it makes sense that characters would behave this way given their circumstances. But like, we don't see the context of that play out. Mm-hmm. We don't see Mickey and Martha fall in love. We don't see the tension building with uh, Amy and Rory. Is yeah. that something that you think you would have liked to see more of on screen? Or do you think that the sort of vignette nature of it is to the story's benefit? For me personally, as a viewer, I think it was to the story's benefit. I liked it this way. There is, however, a pretty significant part of me that kind of wishes that there would have been more on screen buildup and sort of reasoning for this. Not for myself, because like I said, I actually enjoyed it this way, but for the benefit of all of the many, many, many people that it didn't work for, because I want other people to enjoy this story and understand Amy and Rory at this moment the way that I do. And I think that other people would understand it better if there had been something more for for people to sort of latch onto and sink their teeth into when it comes to the Amy Rory relationship. Whereas for me, I liked having it come out of the blue because it made me think about it. It made me think, okay, wait a minute, why is this happening? And then it was just like this puzzle pieces in my head clicking into place. Oh, of course, of course that's what would happen. And I think being forced to do the extra work to get there myself that really worked for me as a viewer. And I understand that that's not going to play out for everybody because you could very, very easily call that a uh, an unforgivable gap in the narrative. But to me, it was something that just seemed like it made perfect sense. It came together. It was like, I was struck by lightning. Oh, now I understand the, the dynamic between these two people. How do you feel about the character's after this moment in, you know, Series 7A for the rest of the time we have in them. Do you think that this marks a change for them? I don't know if it marks a change for them or if it just marked a change for me as a viewer, but I loved Amy and Rory. Two months out of date. Yogurt. Ah! All of Series 7A. Run out of washing tablets. 7A is is one of my new series happy places Hmm. because of this. I just enjoyed the heck out of watching them interact for the rest of the the season or the half season that they were in. And I I really, I don't know. I should probably go back and rewatch all of those stories and see if I can pinpoint, is that because this turning point in Asylum of the Daleks was so important to them that it deepened and matured their relationship? Or was it just that it deepened and matured my own understanding of of those two characters? I suspect it's probably a little of both. I mean, has the context of this moment changed the way that you view stories from series five and six? You know what? I haven't actually gone back and watched too much of that, but every time I have, I think it has. Seeing Amy and Rory together and sort of understanding where they will end up definitely helped me understand where they were coming from. There's actually a sort of a, a sub moment, my my secondary moment in Asylum of the Daleks. Go for it. Is that very, very quick moment that I noticed the first time I saw it, but a bunch of my friends did not, and I had to point it out, was when Amy is signing... You have to sign these. ...the divorce papers. She signs Amy Williams. And then we're not married. Just like magic. Which shows us that when they got married, she took Rory's name. Yeah, it's funny that the doctor the brand new called him Rory Pond. Mr. Pond. And that was a, an ongoing no, joke. I'm not Mr. Pond. That's not how it works. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, it is. But she felt strongly enough about their relationship and how important he is as a person and how important his name is to her that she actually took his name, which is not a thing that I would have expected. That was a real surprise to me. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing to drop that late in their character arcs. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the things that you're saying that appeal to you about this story seem like so emblematic of Series 7A to me. Mm-hmm. Like, they have multiple different lives that they live. And in, in one life, she's Amy Pond, adventurer through time and space with the Doctor. But in her real life, she's Amelia Williams and maybe thinks of herself a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, f- I find that all interesting. Maybe I am coming around to some aspects of this that I don't like as much <laughs> or I didn't like as much. But One of the other sort of complaints that I heard about Amy a lot was that uh, Moffat just didn't have an idea of who she was as a character. She's a model one day and she's a travel writer another day. What? You've got a job. I write travel articles for magazines and Rory Hills is sick. And those complaints never, ever held any water for me, a person who has held many different jobs of many different types over the years. And, you know, I've, I have worked in insurance and in software and in records management and in training and in telecom and just like all kinds of random stuff. So I think Amy was always kind of trying to find herself, which again, makes sense. Having had such a a strange upbringing and childhood, she's wanted to grasp onto something sort of solid and dependable. And that's Rory. And I feel like in finally marrying him and choosing his name is, is emblematic of finding herself, finding a, a version of herself that she can depend on and that she likes and that that warms my heart as somebody who is very very happily married like that you know even though they had the the misstep there with the uh the near divorce or maybe they got divorced and remarried not sure how it worked out but yeah it it makes me very happy that they found happiness together yeah i think they got kidnapped by daleks before that paperwork ever made it to any kind of authority so yeah you're probably right it's it's so funny that you know throughout series seven especially every time we see amy she has a different job but that just fits so well with the way their relationship to the doctor is changing mm-hmm. at this late stage in their association with him because hello. and hello pond 10 months time flies never really understood that phrase you know this he is nephew, this keeps is meeting them at disconnected moments of their lives when lots of things have happened and he hasn't kept up with them. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things that I'm not sure I love it and I can see why people don't, but it's it's pretty clearly like a deliberate storytelling decision more than it's a, well, we just haven't thought this through. Yeah, I agree. It feels like it was something that was thought through and it was a choice. And I can I can respect it if that choice doesn't work for you, but I don't think it's lazy writing, which is what I, the complaint that I hear a lot and I don't buy that. Sure. Why is it that you think these two people have so much difficulty communicating? <laughs> I think, I think part of it stems from the fact that they've known each other for so gosh darn long. I mean, eventually in Let's Kill Hitler, we, we get to see... I thought we were playing hide and seek. I've been hiding for hours. They have actually been interacting with well, each other. we just haven't found you yet. Since they were okay. kids, I'm... like young kids. And when you've been with somebody for that long, you can fall into patterns that are difficult to break out mm. of. We see how difficult it was for Rory to even get across to Amy. Name one girl you've paid the slightest bit of attention to. The fact to. that he was interested in her as more than a friend. Yeah. Like when the, when the penny finally drops, she's gobsmacked, and it's a great comic moment. Oh my! But God, Rory, 
and the penny drops. I think that that's just one example of probably a lot of times throughout their history where their relationship is either growing or shifting or something changes. And it's a difficult thing to reshape your communication to make sure that everything is getting across to the, the person on the other side of the table. Yeah. I nevertheless, I, I find that like the biggest eyebrow raising thing about this moment is they've never they've never really talked. They must never have had a conversation before about about how they feel about the fact that that Amy can't have kids. Yeah, and that is sort of the the weak link in in my favorite moment here. The idea that they've been through so much together and that Rory clearly loves her so much and that he would be better off without her than with her and not having a child. Like it just, that kind of blows my mind. But at the same time, you know, I kind of think about it and I tilt my head and I go, well, again, Amy doesn't have the highest emotional intelligence. So maybe that's the conclusion that she has come to. She really, she really does love him, but she comes to this place flawed conclusion that like she wants him to have everything that he has ever wanted. She loves him that much. And one of the things that he has always wanted, again, they've been they've been together for their entire lives, so she knows how important it is to him. That is not a choice that I like, but I guess I can kind of sort of maybe understand, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have any particular feelings about the way themes of infertility are talked about in this story or in Doctor Who more largely? Um, I, I don't have any children. I have never wanted children. So I, it's, it's hard for me to kind of understand that thought process that, that wanting to include a child in your life is such a big deal that it could create this huge amount of havoc. I can, you know, cerebrally understand it from the outside, but that part of it really doesn't sort of touch me emotionally. So I do struggle a little bit from time to time with Doctor Who and how, you know, you have a lot of, especially during the Moffat years, a lot of themes of, of fatherhood and fathers and the love of a father. He prefers the name Elfie now. And a son's love for and his he's father. Very proud of his dad. He calls me dad. Yes, of course he does now. There's a lot of that stuff happening, and you know I can appreciate it sort of from the outside, but it's it's not a theme that means a lot to me in my heart. Sure. One of the questions that I think is hanging over series seven A. You're thinking of stopping. Is aren't you? whether. You and Rory. No, no, I mean we haven't made a decision. But you're considering it. Amy and Rory. Maybe. Really need or want. I don't know. We don't know. The doctor in their lives. Well, anymore. our lives have changed so and much. And the doctor kind of sets them up for a reconciliation here. So, do you have any strong feelings either way about whether the doctor is a benefit to their lives or whether he's someone that they need to move on from? I have very mixed feelings about that because I think that it's hard to say, but I enjoy the narrative friction that we get watching Amy and Rory try to determine whether they should leave him behind completely or not. But I really liked the fact that the doctor just drops in on them every now and then because that's something that I kind of always wanted him to do with other companions. Like the idea that this incarnation of the doctor chooses to do things differently was one of the most interesting things I thought about the 11th doctor. So I guess I, I look at it more from the perspective of the doctor as a character and his development and how interesting that is to the story as opposed to looking at it from the perspective of Amy and Rory, who are trying to get on with their lives, but the doctor keeps popping up. He's been such an integral part of their life for so long. It hurts my heart a little bit to think about the idea of them being able to actually just cut him off and say goodbye. So You both have lives here, beautiful, messy lives. That is what makes you so fabulously human. You don't want to give While up. at the end of The Power of Three, I really... I understand. Actually, it's you they can't give up, Doctor. Expected them to just be like, nope, we're done. 
No, I don't think they should. When they didn't, it made me very happy. Mm. Which, of course, sets up the tragedy. Of course. Of course. And from from the doctor's perspective, do you think it's any of his business to go around (laughs) fixing people's personal lives for them? Because what can I do? Amy sure sees that in him early in this episode and is like, It's not one of those things you can fix like you fix your bow tie. Plainly, to some extent, he can. Don't give me those. uh, (laughs) Is that something that you um, like to see the doctor doing as a character? Uh, No. And yes. Oh, okay. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, for me, it depends on the way he goes about it and the methods that he uses. So, for example, people love a Christmas carol. A what? Mm-hmm. A Christmas carol. A what? A Christmas and carol. I enjoy it because it is structured really niftily and it hangs together really well. But I am very uncomfortable with the idea of the doctor He's trying to turn you into a nicer person, completely changing somebody's personality nicely in order to get stuff He's changed done. Changed my past, my whole life. And yes, yeah, he saved thousands of people. That that's great. But it just it makes me feel a little icky inside. Time can be rewritten. You tell the doctor. That this person. Tell him from me. Had their entire. Count. You know, not just their life changed. Their personality like he became a very different person mm-hmm. and in this case i think his methods are much more humane i don't know if that's the right word but all he does is puts them together i mean when you think about it that's it he puts them together and he you know he plants the little seeds about the fact that they're subtracting love and and adding hate and actually it wasn't even he didn't have to plant that seed himself he just sort of you know dug it a little deeper in the soil because it was oswin do you know how you make someone into a darling that first mentioned that subtract love add anger So he doesn't really go out of his way to do anything to fix them, except just get them together. And I feel like that's a pretty solid technique. If two people are having issues, talk it out. That's not as underhanded, I think, as going back in time and messing around with somebody's past. So in this case, I'm totally okay with it. And I mean, when I was a youngster and I would have two friends that were fighting, I would often be the person who tried to make sure everybody got along. And I was pretty good at it. And people would, you know, they would make up and and things would be happy again for a while until there was more drama because you know that's how kids are yeah but i was i was on board with this method of quote-unquote fixing things my other big question is how you feel about the episode as a whole i adore it we covered it on my my doctor who podcast verity not too long ago and on that podcast i said this isn't my favorite dalek episode but it may be my favorite episode with daleks you will save the daleks and after watching it again to do this podcast, I'm almost ready to say it's actually my favorite Dalek episode, too. Okay. So it's probably tied with Evil of the Daleks, but... I think we've seen the end of the Daleks forever. I absolutely love it. Every bit of it, except for, like I said, the the whole thing about Amy thinking that Rory would be better off without her simply because she can't have children. That definitely bothers me. And the... Because of the Daleks. The big damn hero moment when the Doctor carries Amy's unconscious body body, you know, out of the crowd of exploded Daleks. I, I don't like that. Who do you think? I, I feel like she's really damseled there and that moment bothers me. But, you know, I feel like my happy moments definitely outweigh the the irritable moments that I have with this one. How do you feel about Oswald? Oswald Oswald. I love her. Junior Entertainment Manager Starship Alaska. Current state is crushed and shipwrecked somewhere. <laughs> I love her so much. Not nice. The sheer jaw-dropping shock of seeing Jenna Jenna Louise Coleman, mm-hmm. as she was known at the time, appear and having had no idea about it, despite being plugged into fandom, that was an experience I don't think I will ever have again. That was just wonderful. And then she was so good. Just so good. I think this is my favorite. I hate it when people talk about their favorite version of Clara because it bugs me because they're all Clara. This is Clara at her, it's Clara at her most Clara 
And I like that because we get to see her in the Bells Hello. of St. John. Clara Oswald Oswald. Just Clara Oswald. What was that middle one? Do you remember me? Sort of at the beginning of her arc. We get to see her become... No? Should I? Who are you? You know, the, the person that we see here or, you know, she's a splinter of that person. And so she's got the quips and she's fast and she's clever. Unauthorized personnel may not enter the cockpit. And she's... Shut up. A really big genius. Bad combo. No sense of humor in that chin. Also a little bit sexy. You know, all of those things. And wears a really cute red dress with tennis shoes. It's like Clara with the Clara turned up, basically. (laughs) Yep. Yep, it is. I do have to say, for my part, though, like, for some reason I find it really upsetting. Anyway, I'm Oswin. Oh, don't call you. Uh, When any character who isn't Amy flirts with Rory. uh, Rory. Lovely name, Rory. I'm like, no, stop it. Same thing with like the rebel flesh and the almost people. There's one of the ganger girls who Mm kind of takes a shine to him. Then you arrive. And I'm like, no, no. I noticed your eyes right off. Roy's with Amy. Yeah, I get very defensive of that relationship. Nice eyes. That is that is adorable, and I, I can kind of understand that. But I think I, I like it here because you get to see Rory's reaction to it. And even though he's basically getting divorced or thinks he is, he still isn't terribly into this random flirting. Like, it, you know, he's not turned off by it or anything, but it's not like he gets nearly as excited about it as the doctor does. There's a word for total screaming genies that sounds modest and a tiny bit sexy. Doctor. You call me the doctor. So it kind of... See what you did there? gives a nice opportunity for Rory to just be Rory. How many Daleks are in there? Millions, certainly. Armed? The Daleks are always armed. What colour? Sorry, there weren't any good questions left. One of the things that makes me so happy about this story and about how it brought me around to Amy and Rory is I am always excited by learning to find joy in Doctor Who and whenever there's a a piece of the show that I don't quite get and I don't love the way some other people do like that makes me a little bit sad not guilty or anything like that but I just I want to be able to take joy in everything so it's wonderful to listen to podcasts like this one and hear what other people are really excited about and turn around to my friends and my my other podcasting co-hosts and look at the things that they love so much and Amy and Rory was something that some of my friends were gaga over and I was jealous of that and this is the story that helped me really get onto that same page. So anything that brings me more joy with Doctor Who is is always a good thing in my book. So um, I think I will always be really grateful to this story for that. And that concludes this week's episode of The Moment. Many thanks to Erica Ensign for joining me this week. You can follow Erica on Twitter over at HollyGoDarkly. And you can hear her on a lot of podcasts, including Verity, Lazy Doctor Who, The Incomparable, Beginner's Puck, The Audio Guide to Babylon 5 if you want to do some archival listening. This woman is just on a ton of podcasts. Now, a couple items of business. First thing, for those of you who didn't make it to the Reality Bomb live show earlier this month, I highly recommend you give the latest episode of their show a listen over at realitybombpodcast.com. Graham and Joy always put together a good show, but that episode has some stuff on it that moment listeners in particular might enjoy, including a guest appearance from yours truly, waxing lyrical about the brilliance of the Series 9 finale Hellbent in the Gallery of the Underrated. Second thing, I want to draw your attention to an awesome project that I and a whole gaggle of my fellow Doctor Who podcasters are doing. At the beginning of this episode, you heard the promo for Who for Schools, a charitable initiative to raise money for the Malala Fund and other organizations that support education. 
If you haven't chipped in, I want to ask you to do so, because the organizations we're supporting are doing excellent work and they need your help to do it. But also, if you donate $10 or more to one of our recommended charities, you're going to get access to a big ol' honkin' podcast extravaganza, including audio commentaries by tons of Doctor Who podcasters, myself included, as well as Doctor Who writers, and even Sophie Aldred herself, the seventh Doctor's companion, Ace. I really hope you'll pitch in. For more information, head to realitybombpodcast.com slash schools. And if you're a listener to this show who's donated, please tweet about your donation to encourage others. Hashtag it who for schools and tag the moment pond so that I can thank you on the air. That's all I have to say about that. Head to themomentpond.com for more stuff about this show. I'm Tom Dickinson, and I'll be back in a moment. <laughs>